Friday night, um, our elder chairman, Carl Kidda, and I were on the opposite sides of the Nagani Marquette football game. And um, it was, uh, I didn't realize that is the second longest rivalry in the state of Michigan. Uh, first game uh, was played in 1894. I had no idea of that. And um, uh, we're going to call that game the Mud Bowl because it was played in driving rain. And when I went over to see uh, Carl and Diane and say hello to them uh, in the second half, it looked very much like uh, Nagani had this game in the bag. And so I thought it was over for us. Uh, Maddie was out there cheering as well for the wrong side. And um, the cheerleaders were the real courageous people that evening, I'll tell you. But as you know, um, in the last four seconds, Marquette pulled it out with a field goal and won 9-8. to eight. And um, I just have to tell you, it felt very uncomfortable being on the opposite side of Carl. <laughs> I just didn't enjoy that at all. It's much, much better to be on the same team here at Bethel. Amen this morning? Amen. And bless the Lord for the wonderful fellowship we have here together in the body of Christ. Well, we are very blessed uh, to belong to a witnessing church here at Bethel. Uh, Every time you come into our sanctuary, you see our mission statement, and you see that part of our mission is telling the good news. Uh, Just this past week, uh, we met a young man who told us that he is trying to be a witness to his college roommates. And when we began to witness to him, we learned that he is already a Christian. And what wonderful fellowship we had together. Uh, We prayed together, and he was just so encouraged that we had come to witness. Uh, His very words to us were, you are doing a good thing. You know, I have a friend uh, from the Seattle area who travels the country speaking in churches all over America. And he one time said this. He said, many churches in America are no longer emphasizing evangelism. Isn't that sad to hear? That telling the gospel is no longer a part of their mission. Uh, You know, as I heard him say that and thought about it, I thought, you know what? When a church no longer has a mission to tell, that church has become a mission field, hasn't it? That is absolutely true. And this morning, as um, we continue in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, um, I want to ask a simple question. And and Julie, I I need to find my remote that I don't have this morning. Uh, Maybe it's up, uh, up uh, um, up in the booth there this morning. And um, I thought you were using it this morning, so I can't blame you for not having it. But um, it very much... There it is. All right. Excellent. If you want to bring that down for me. um, By the time Julie gets down here, what I'm going to put on the screen is going to be very much uh, holding your attention. That is for sure. But I want to ask a simple question this morning as we think about evangelism. Thank you so very, very much. Um, And that question is this. Are there people we should not witness to? Now, your first response to that might be to say, no. We ought to witness to everyone. 
But the greatest witness of all, the Lord Jesus Christ, answers that question, yes. There are some people that we ought to leave alone. And then we ask the question, well, what should we do with them? And Jesus answers that question too. Now this morning, we are at the last place where the Lord Jesus is applying to us the Lord's Prayer in this section of the Sermon on the Mount. And this morning, what I want us to look at is what Jesus has to say about discerning and then doing good. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. And I want us to look at two isolated verses that seem very isolated, but as we're going to see, are very intimately connected and very well placed in the Sermon on the Mount. Look what Jesus says in verse 6 of Matthew 7. Do not give what is sacred to dogs. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under your feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. And then drop down to verse 12. So, in everything, do to others what you would have them to do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Let's begin by looking at discerning this morning, all right? And Jesus tells us here in verse 6, that we must be discerning about who we witness to. He says in verse 6, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. Now we can very clearly see why verse 6 here follows verses 1 through 5. Jesus has just told us that we are not to be judgmental, hypercritical, that we're not to relish sharing Uh, negative thoughts and opinions about others. But now in verse 6, the Savior is saying to us, we can take that too far. Uh, Many of you know that last year, um, I was in a jury pool for the very first time ever on a murder case. And um, after I was uh, dismissed by the defense for being a pastor, I was the only one who made it on to the jury who was not asked one question. Uh, As soon as he saw I was a pastor, boom, I was gone. But I went over to the university and I saw an acquaintance of mine and I told them that I had just been dismissed from the jury pool. And this is what she said. She said, I'm glad I've never been called for jury duty. I don't believe it's right to judge anyone. And I thought you might feel differently if it was your son who was murdered. Uh, Charles Spurgeon had this to say, The saints are not judges, but the saints are not simpletons either. And we know that's exactly what Jesus wants us to understand. And so here in verse 6, Jesus is telling us there are some people we are to be cautious of. Who are they? Well, let's notice what he says here. He tells us that some reject with ridicule and contempt Jesus' gospel. Now, when Jesus here talks about dogs and hogs, he's not talking about your pet dog, Fluffy. And he's not talking about the pet pig, Arnold Ziffel. Okay? Uh, That's not who we are to have in mind here. Uh, Dogs in Jesus' day were street dogs. Uh, One Bible student said they were very similar to wolves. They were large, they were savage, and they were ugly. 
they infested the streets of oriental cities and they fed on garbage. They were considered unclean scavengers. They howled, they threatened, they snarled, and they were very, very vicious. Now, pigs here that Jesus mentions are are not the normal pigs that we might think of on a pig farm. Rather, they were wild boars. Uh, Let me share with you um, a picture of one of these wild boars, all right? Um, This actually comes from um, boars on Pastor Hank's camp property. Uh, These are pictures that have been taken of the boars on his property. Look at how large this animal is. And then look at a second picture and notice how vicious looking these boars can be. Uh, Pastor Hank shared with me that uh, wild boars are a huge problem in the United States. And you know, wild boars still haunt the Jordan River Valley in Israel. Here's a picture of one of them. Uh, A.T. Robertson, who was a a, a great Bible student, said this, uh, They were not far removed from bears as they would trample with their feet and gore with their tusks anyone who would anger them. They were considered unclean animals and they ate the vilest of, of foods, even consuming human blood. So now when Jesus describes uh, certain people as dogs and hogs, he is obviously not talking about your run-of-the-mill ordinary unbeliever. But what he is talking about are those who have been given the gospel, who reject it with ridicule and hardened contempt. What our Savior is saying is, while we are to give the gospel to everyone... People who make fun of the gospel and scorn the gospel are not to be persisted with. Now, it's interesting here in this passage, Jesus gives to us two reasons why we are to leave them alone. And uh, I want you to notice the first uh, two of these reasons. They trash the treasure in the gospel and they attack the messengers of the gospel. Um, It's very interesting if you look at the structure of verse 6, and some of you uh, like to see a little deeper into the structure of the Word of God. Verse 6 is actually what is known as a chiastic pattern. It is an A-B-B-A pattern. So what that tells us is the first line, do not give to dogs what is sacred, is parallel to the last line, because they will turn and tear you to pieces. And then the two middle lines go together. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet. So what the Bible is saying is people of this character, of this nature, respond in two ways when we persist in giving them the gospel. They will either trash the treasure in the gospel or they will attack the messengers of the gospel. Let's look at the first one for just a moment. He says, do not give what is sacred. Do not put your pearls before swine. Now, the word sacred here means holy. And the word pearls is that which is priceless. In fact, it's very interesting. The Greek word here for pearls is margaretes. We get our uh, names Margaret and Rita from this uh, word. 
Uh, the pearls that are being talked about here were probably harvested from the Persian Gulf or the Indian Ocean. They had a huge priceless price on them. Now let me ask you here this morning, what could be more priceless for us than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and our salvation? Is there anything more priceless than that? In fact, keep your finger here in Matthew 7 for a moment and turn over with me to Matthew 13 and notice how we ought to act towards the gospel because it is the most priceless thing that exists. Jesus told two parables about treasure and pearls. And look what he said. Matthew 13, verse 44, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, says Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and he sold everything he had and bought it. What the Lord is saying is his gospel and the salvation that it brings are the most priceless, valuable treasure that any Christian possesses. Nothing that we could have on this earth compares to the gospel. But here's what our Lord is saying. Just as pigs might mistake pearls for a pile of corn. In fact, notice this pile of pearls. You could see how a pig, if you toss this into the pig pen, might think that it's a pile of corn and, and might think perhaps it's a pile of acorns. And they would begin to try to eat, but then when they recognized that it was not food, they would stomp it into the mud. And so here's what the Savior is saying. The gospel is so precious, it is so valuable, that it is not to be abused. We are not to waste time with those who would cheapen the gospel. And then notice the second one. The second thing about dogs is uh, if you give them what is sacred... They will turn on you and tear you to pieces. In the first century, stray dogs were known to growl at those who tossed food at them or even those who didn't. So here's what our Lord is saying. He is counseling sensitivity in our witness. He is saying to us, yes, we need to be intentional. We need to be people who are out telling. But we don't want to provoke others. When people make it clear where they stand, we are not to force the gospel on them because if we do, we will provoke them and they will turn hostile. I've had a a great concern um, for one of my cousins. Uh, He's the only one of uh, my unsaved cousins who came to both the funeral for my mother and the funeral for my father. I've had a great concern for his salvation. Uh, Last year, I um, took the uh, Bible off of my shelf that belonged to our grandfather. 
And I thought to myself, maybe if I send this Bible as a keepsake to my cousin, that um, I can witness to him. And so I wrapped up that Bible as a Christmas gift, and then in the Bible I put a letter in which I gave a first-hand account of my grandfather's salvation. Can you imagine the great privilege in my life as a six-year-old boy to watch my grandfather with my pastor in our living room down on his hands and knees with tears coming down his face as he gave his heart to the Lord Jesus? One of the great memories of my life. And so in the letter, I I wrote to my cousin about that experience. And I said, I didn't know Grandpa very well, but I'm looking forward to seeing him someday in heaven and making up for lost time. And I placed that in the Bible and sent it to him. I have not heard one word in response. Not one word. And it breaks my heart. Well, what do I do for my cousin now? I pray for him. Because to keep up trying to witness to him at this point would provoke him and very possibly turn him hostile. And Jesus says, when people reach that point, that's when we stop witnessing to them. Now, let me just say here that the Bible has a great deal to say about the people we need to be cautious of. And I want to take a few moments to share this with you because I think it's very relevant to what our Lord is teaching us here. Uh, Let me ask you, as we um, think about this this morning, to consider with me this morning four people that the Bible says we are to be very, very cautious towards. And I'm going to ask you to turn with me to these passages, all right? First of all, we are to be cautious of those who actively sow division. Turn back in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. And I want you to notice with me what Paul says about people who cause division. Look what he says in verses 10 and 11. He says, Warn a divisive person once, and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Now, one of Satan's greatest tools to wreck a church are divisive people who sow discord. And the Bible says here, you warn them twice. And if they keep up that divisive behavior, you are to have nothing to do with them. Because they fall into this category that Jesus is describing. Notice the second group. The second group are those who refuse correction. Uh, Turn back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want to read for you particularly verses 9 through 11. And listen to what Jesus says about another group of people, those who refuse correction. Listen to his words. 
I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave this world. We'd have to quit going to work every Monday, right? But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. Now Paul here is talking about professing Christians who do not want to change. Earlier he says that persistent sin spreads like yeast through a loaf of bread. In fact, look at verse 6. He says, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Do you know I have, I have witnessed this? I have seen this? I saw a young man who was a new Christian who was dragged into immorality by a girl in a church who had refused the correction of that church. And what Paul is saying to us is this, for the protection of vulnerable Christians in your church, these are people that you need to turn away from. Now here's a third category. Those who spread heresy. Let's turn back to the last chapter of Romans chapter 16. And I want you to notice verse 17 and 18. And listen to what Paul says. I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Do you know when the cults come to my door, I invite them in only under one condition? And that condition is that I politely take over the conversation And I ask them questions. There is no warrant in Scripture for allowing the cults to come into our house and to spread their heresy. So I invite them to come in under one condition. When they walk in, I say to them, may I ask you a question? Uh, The last group of Jehovah's Witnesses that came to my uh, home, uh, they sat down on the couch. I said, may I ask you a question? They said, sure. I said, have you been born again? They said, no. And I said, well, that's interesting because John 3 says the condition for entering the kingdom of God is that you be born again. I said, I've been born again, and I shared my testimony with them. So I said, I know for sure that I have eternal life, and I'm on the way to heaven. You know what the leader of the group said? She said, well, I guess then, if you're sure and you've been born again, there's no need for us to talk. I said, I guess there isn't. And out the door they went. That's the only reason I would allow them in the house. That I might be able to witness to them. We're not to let those who spread heresy 
have that opportunity. Now let's get the last group. The last group is those who mock truth. Turn back to Proverbs this time, and I want you to notice Proverbs chapter 9, and I want you to notice with me verses 7 and 8. Proverbs chapter 9, and notice with me verses 7 and 8. Listen to what the wise man, Solomon, says to us. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Doesn't that sound very much like what Jesus said about the hogs and the dogs? Sure it does. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Now, uh, move ahead to chapter 22 here in Proverbs and notice with me verse 10. And notice how strong this verse is. Look at Proverbs 22 and verse 10. Drive out the mocker and out goes strife. Quarrels and insults are ended. Do you know, uh, when I was growing up in high school, um, I had a, a Jewish friend who was very hostile to Christianity. I'll never forget one day, uh, a friend of mine had a very goofy hat on it with all of these buttons pinned on the hat. And one of the buttons, um, in very bold letters, said, Jesus saves. Now, my friend was just minding his own business, uh, just wearing this hat. And our Jewish friend uh, went up to him and said to him, What does Jesus save? Beer cans? Now, that's a mocker. That's a mocker. Do you know, I had that Jewish friend in my home a couple of times. But I did not witness to him. Because to witness to him was to only stir up his hate. And God says you don't do that with someone who is a mocker. By the way, I had not seen my Jewish friend for many, many years. He moved to New York after we both grew up. I hadn't seen him for many, many years, but I lived near his mother. His mother would have nothing to do with me. One day, uh, lo and behold, as I was out in the front yard, who came walking down the street but his mother and him. And I said, Ken, it's Brian. And he looked at me. We hadn't seen each other in years. And, and, and I said, come on in. We shared old times together. But I knew he still hates Christianity. It is not my place at this point to witness. Now the question we have is, okay, Pastor Brian, the Bible is clear on this. What are we to do then with these kinds of folks? That's where verse 12 comes in. This is so wonderful. Let's look together now at what Jesus has to say about doing good. Go back to Matthew chapter 7 and notice that Jesus says we must do good to everyone. Look at verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. 
Now, what are we supposed to do to people then that we can't witness to, who aren't open? Well, notice what Jesus is saying. We are to practice the golden rule. Now, once again, do you see the brilliance of Jesus as a teacher? I am, we all know he's a wonderful savior. But as we have been looking at the Sermon on the Mount time and time again, I'm saying, man, is he a great teacher. People may reject our verbal witness, but they can't avoid our nonverbal witness. And all God's people said, absolutely. Now notice, by the way, how verse 12 ties back to verse 11. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Even as our Heavenly Father does good to the worst of sinners, so now Jesus says to us, we are to do good as well And in that way, we witness to them. Now, this is the famous golden rule. And I want to draw a few lessons for us today that I've never seen before, and maybe you never have either. But this is very wonderful as Jesus teaches us. First thing we need to understand here about the golden rule, uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, is that the golden rule in negative form is very easy for sinners. Perhaps you're aware that many philosophers and religious leaders have taught the golden rule, but they always taught it in the negative form. For example, uh, Hillel, uh, the great Hebrew rabbi, said this, Do not do to thy neighbor what is hateful to thyself. Uh, Socrates, the Greek philosopher, said this, What stirs your anger when done to you by others, that don't do to others. And Confucius, who was the the great uh, wise teacher in China, he said, What you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. Um, Here's a statement of the golden rule found in Buddhism. And look at it. Treat not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. Now, what do you notice? Well, you notice that it is negative, and you notice that it is passive. It is very, very easy to do the golden rule when it's stated negatively, because all you have to do is not hurt somebody else. Essentially, all you need to do is just keep your nose clean. But now notice Jesus. Second lesson we learn about the golden rule is that the golden rule in positive form is impossible for sinners. Look at it again. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Jesus was the first one in all of history to state the golden rule positively And I want you to notice here, it is a perfect summary of all that the law and the prophets, which is the whole Old Testament, told us is our duty towards one another. It is brilliant. Remember how Jesus said, you can sum up the whole Old Testament in two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That second command summarizes the whole Old Testament in terms of our duties towards one another. Now Jesus says, another 
way to say love your neighbor as yourself is the golden rule do to others what you would have them do to you that is brilliant because it is based on self-love. Do you know the strongest motivation we have as a sinful human being is self-advantage? In fact, the Bible teaches this. Uh, Ephesians 5.29 says, No one yet ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. You all look like you did that this morning before you came to church. You nourished and cherished your own flesh. Now what Jesus is saying is, apply that same standard to others and you will always know what to do in any situation, whatever is right, and to your advantage, do that to the other person. All the regulations of the Bible towards others are summarized in the golden rule. Now I want you to look at this for just a moment. This is absolutely impossible for sinners. Absolutely impossible. Let me give you an example from my own life. Uh, Several years ago, I worked very, very hard to um, have a nice-looking lawn. I rototilled it. I got rid of all the grubs. I reseeded it. I fertilized it. I got this very nice looking lawn except for one patch I couldn't do anything with. And then one night, can you believe this? I'm assuming it was some young person in the middle of the night drove their car right across the middle of my lawn and left deep tire tracks in my lawn. I was so angry. This really tested my sanctification. In fact, I said to Ellen, you know what? They might come back again tonight and try it again. I'm going to get my 22 out. I'm going to wait for them. And I'm going to put out their tires. Ellen talked me out of that, by the way. She's more sanctified than I am. But you know what? If I said to myself, I'm a good neighbor... And I'm not going to destroy somebody else's lawn like mine was destroyed. I would have fulfilled the golden rule negatively, wouldn't I have? Yes. But what does it take to do the golden rule positively? It's not enough to not damage my neighbor's lawn. Rather, when I see him out raking his leaves... And I'm sitting in my house with a glass of tea doing nothing to fulfill the golden rule positively means I go to my garage, I get my rake, and I go out and help him rake his leaves. Is that not God's love? Yes, that is. You know what? To consistently live like that in all we do is impossible. We aspire to live that way. But we never perfectly do it. By the way, uh, do you remember when I uh, was preaching earlier in the Sermon on the Mount? 
that I said, if anyone who says they have lived the Sermon on the Mount consistently, uh, they either haven't read it or they're lying. Right? So what's the solution here? Well, let me share with you the third lesson. Third lesson here is that the golden rule requires salvation and the Holy Spirit. The only way we can possibly live like this is by being saved and receiving the Holy Spirit. Selfish advantage is just too deeply ingrained in us. We need a new nature, and the only way you get a new nature is through salvation, and that new nature is imparted by the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to show you something today very, very interesting. I want to compare Luke's statement... Um, before the golden rule with Matthew's statement, all right? Now, look with me at Matthew's statement in verse 11, right before the golden rule. And notice what Matthew says in verse 11, before we're given the golden rule. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Now I want you to turn over with me to Luke chapter 11, and I want you to notice the very same statement by Luke, but notice he adds words that Matthew decided to leave out, and when you see them, you understand this is the key to the golden rule and the whole Sermon on the Mount. Look at how Luke says, Matthew 7.11 and Luke 11.13, how wonderful this is. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? What's the best gift that God has ever given Christians? It is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to every person who receives Jesus Christ as Savior. And that's what it takes. Friends, the golden rule is not do this and live. Rather, it is, you cannot do this by yourself on your own. Come to Jesus for grace, salvation, and the Holy Spirit, and He will live in you and through you, and then you will be able, by His indwelling power, to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. How wonderful this is. All other religions, very easy. Just don't do to others what they don't do to you. Jesus, impossible. You take your self-love that you apply to yourself as you nourish and cherish your own life, and now in every decision, you apply that to others. Totally impossible. What's then the answer? The answer is you need a Savior. 
and you need the Holy Spirit. And when you come to Christ in humility and repentance and simple faith, then that Spirit comes in and you have a new power to live like no one else. All God's people said this morning, Amen. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, thank you today for the greatness of our Savior as a teacher. Thank you for the depth of his penetrating words. Thank you that though they are profound, yet they are truly simple to understand. And thank you today as we are here today as redeemed people. We can read these words which are impossible to the natural man. And we can put them into practice. Never perfectly but always better than our unsaved neighbor because we have found grace, new life, and the Spirit of God. Lord, I pray today for anyone who is here who does not know Christ that you would draw them to yourself. I pray, Father, for any believer who is not a deep student of your word, that you would draw them into the scriptures. For it is here that we find life, it is here that we find insight, it is here that we find the lamp to show us the way, it is here that we find a great and wonderful Savior. We love you, Lord, this morning. Give us wisdom and obedience in all things. For Jesus' sake, amen.